Alrighty, welcome back everybody to the Fault Line Podcast. My name is Alex Davis. Joining me as usual, our esteemed editor Tommy Flanagan. Hello. And my esteemed colleague Rafi Cohen. Hello. And uh, yeah, busy final pre-Mobile Congress week. Um, but uh, on the news front, Tommy, how's, how's it been? Well, yeah, alright. I mean, I've been powering through it this week. I'm a bit sniffly, but drinking through it as... Uh, any good journalist should. Um, and as you mentioned, um, World War Congress, I thought we'd start this off actually by mentioning some of the. Because it's. Mobile World Congress um, in the past has been this show <coughs> kind of like the equivalent of CES in America, but for Europe, where the dumbest things just appear. And I noted down a couple this week that, that nice. jumped out and actually when I, when I did that I thought that something you could because we're not um, well presumably not doing the, the podcast next week because you'll be in Barcelona so I might do one solo you guys should send me some of the dumbest stuff that you see and I'll mention it but a couple of the stupidest press releases I've seen this week I don't know if you also got them but one from Deutsche Telekom doing a collaboration with Robbie Williams yeah. about some AI based uh, turning uh, his angel song into something ridiculous and the other one um, was from um, another uh, telco that just puts out ridiculous announcements whenever Mobile Congress happens, Telefonica, with a headline that said, Telefonica moves from 5G to Metaverse with innovative value propositions and digital transformations at Mobile Congress. What does that even mean? So that's a mission for YouTube. Righty. Hunt down telephone. Figure out what the hell that means and also get some Robbie Williams Deutsche Telekom action. So, to some news and interviews and stuff. I had a great catch up with Veramatrix this week. Loads going on there. Very different to the Veramatrix of a, a few years ago, not just the missing the distinctive flash of green that we used to see at, at trade shows, but a lot of new faces and products and strategies so yeah great piece on them but our lead story this week is another sustainability focus piece i know i've done a lot of high level moaning about sustainability projects in media and entertainment lately mainly you know about the lack of direction and, and lack of transparency from the the bigger technology players i haven't heard any complaints yet from listeners so i'm going to carry on this week and I think it's a very important story. Um, and it came about following a webinar called Decarbonizing Cloud Workflows, hosted by Blackbird, featuring our mate Remy from Atem and also a guy called Simon Crownshaw from Microsoft Azure, who's head of strategy for media and entertainment, something like that. Um, I expected it to be a pretty routine sustainability discussion, which it was in part. So there were some interesting facts from Blackbird and some really impressive results um, on the compression side from attempt since 2018 so pat on the back for both of them but when it comes to Azure oh with every word uttered my frustration was just building and building and it's just as as Crownshaw repeated over and over again about the need for collaboration blah 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 and he's just not providing any examples uh, and he's just talking about how Azure is publishing more white papers than anyone else. Um, and this, this is Microsoft, for God's sake. It's one of the most powerful companies in the world. Market cap of only over $2 trillion. And all it's doing to drive sustainability, according to this webinar, in media and entertainment, is to publish a few white papers. I mean, at Faultline, we appreciate the power of the written word more than most people. 
But at this point in the webinar, I'm losing the, the will to live, really. Uh, however, I, I, I persevered. And eventually, within the dying minutes, probably f last five minutes of the webinar, he says a couple of words that jump out, and I immediately know that that's it. That's, there's my story. And he says that he's seeing signs of closer collaboration between cloud providers in the last six to 12 months, he reckons. He doesn't say whether this is with his main rivals, AWS or Google Cloud, or with significant players that we, we shouldn't forget about, Alibaba Clyde, Cloud, IBM Cloud, Oracle Cloud. But he does mention that these discussions are at the leadership level. That's all he says. And, and that's my kryptonite. He says, so he, he spent the entire webinar waxing lyrical about collaboration, telling people to set aside the differences towards the common goal of sustainability through shared learnings to the benefit of this creating this full end-to-end -end picture, only then to say, well, yeah, the, the cloud behemoths who run the, the whole show, pulling the strings, they're having these behind-the-closed-doors conversations. Only C-level execs and directors are allowed. Sorry about that. He proudly says that Azure is working on ways to help clients record, report, reduce, replace, and remove elements of their carbon footprints all along the way. But without a collective effort against a mutual enemy, with these standardized ways, weapons for recording and reporting and reducing emissions, what's the point? Uh, unfortunately, because this took place um, in uh, prime Faultline publishing time last Thursday, a week today, um, I've had to watch it on demand, which means I can't get involved with the Q&A. Not that I expect, expect my questions would have been answered anyway, but I followed up with a message to Mr. Director Crownshaw, who said he'll hopefully provide a bit more information eventually, so at least he got back to me. Maybe with a solid example of how this cloud collaboration is happening, or what it's doing, or what these leaders are talking about that we're not allowed to know about, which is something he didn't do in the full hour. He had an hour to, to talk about that, and he didn't. And who knows, he might even jump on a phone call with me, but probably after I tag him on LinkedIn, he's, he's not going to do that. But um, there was just so much talk about looking at the bigger picture, and it was just so hypocritical about not providing the bigger picture while talking about the bigger picture and accounting for the whole end-to-end -end, um, workflow. And Remy, actually, of Attend, provided a really good example from the encoding side, which is that the arrival of new codecs might bring you 50% bitrate savings, as they tend to do generation to generation, thanks to more advanced compression techniques. However, discussions on the sustainability of uh, and more efficient codecs don't always factor in the arrival of more end-user devices manufactured and more video content reaching more devices that comes off the back of um, new and more efficient codecs. So what's the climate impact of that? And I think that's quite a good example of why we've got to take these blinkers off and look at the bigger picture. That said, Looking at both sides of the coin in the bigger picture, I should add in Crownshaw's defence, part of the reason he came across as re quite resistant to share more information on the so-called cross-cloud cl collaborations is that I suspect it's because of how siloed the data still is. And that makes it extremely difficult to get common findings shared uh, across uh, you know, various industries and, and, and between companies. And once that's sorted out, hopefully the other pieces should fall into place. You know. After um, I finished editing this piece, I, I kind of sighed to myself and thought, oh, bloody hell, these cloud providers are a blunt bunch of clowns, aren't they? And then the song Death of a Clown by the Kinks came to my head, and hence 
the headline, Death of a Cloud was born, <laughs> followed by Clock Ticking for Climate Co-op as Top Dogs Buried Data. So uh, if you know it, then uh, have a sing-along on, the, on, uh, on that note. Excellent. I thought you were going to use a, a different C word instead of clowns just at the end then. I thought we were going to, <laughs> I we were going to break new ground on the Four. podcast. I know you slipped uh... into the odd profanity, but that would be <laughs> taking the biscuit. It's only 4pm. That would be ringing the bell, yeah. 4pm and two Stellas. <laughs> just one Stella per extra 35 minutes. <laughs> Sweet. Right. Thank you very much, Tommy. Um, Thank you. We'll move on now to a, a first of a two-part codec uh, discussion, I think. But Rafi, you were looking at um, audio codecs this week. So Spotify snubs new-ish audio codecs. XHE AAC still crack video. So could you tell us more? Because I, I don't know anything about this. Yeah, well, neither, neither did I really. Um, Fortline obviously always covers video codecs, all the various dramas and pattern pools all the fighting, um, but audio's always got much less of a look-in, and uh, this week I found out at least one of the reasons is there's just generally a lot less drama. Everyone plays much nicer, all the prices are publicly listed, uh, there's no patent pool wars, etc. Um, but yeah, the reason this came up is because we were scheduling the the calendar for Mobile World Congress, um, I got an invite to try out the new-ish, or rather I should just say the latest round of audio offerings from the massive German R&D Institute, uh, Fraunhofer. Um, the audio team is in the US, so they can't actually make it over for Mobile World Congress. But I'll get to actually trial out the technologies there. Um, I say new-ish because they came out at some point in the past five years, but it's just the latest generation. Um, and we'll actually get to have some physical demos. But yes, sat down with um, Jan Nordman, who um, works in the US audio team. He took me through both of the codecs, um, exactly what they do. Um, so the first one is the Extended High Efficiency Advanced Audio Coding Codec, or XHEAAC, um, which came out in 2016. Just a quick run-through of the features. Um, it offers adaptive bitrate, uh, which means you know consistent playback, whether you, your speeds are from like 12 kilobits per second to 500. It can operate anywhere within that bracket. Um, cool one is dynamic control metadata, so kind of embedded within the audio stream. They have... Um, within the metadata, they have these loudness targets, which are dependent on which device you're watching on. Um, so then if you're watching a film on Netflix, but on your home cinema system or on a smartphone on the bus, it will kind of figure out roughly where you are, how you're watching, and then we'll set a loudness target, which means that, you know, if you turn up the volume to ensure that the explosions or whatever are really loud, then if it dips back down when it's just plain dialogue, then you'll still be able to hear people clearly. Um, and Jan said that Netflix have you know run some case studies and published some findings, and they found that when they started using um, XHEAAC, um, audiences started fiddling with the volume controls a lot less. So it clearly makes up for an overall better user experience. Um, and then the final upgrade, which is something I had no idea about, was that there's actual there's distinct audio codecs for whether you're uh, just compressing speech or kind of more general audio that has music or is entirely music. Um, so traditionally, all platforms have had two codecs on the go, one for speech and then one for your general audio. Um, but XHEAAC, really struggling to say that, um, kind of can wear both hats at the same time. Um, you only actually need to run that one codec to serve both speech and general audio for you know TV and music. Um, and Jan said that pretty much every audio platform or audio streaming platform, except for Spotify, that also provides podcasts will have its own speech one and... 
and then a general audio one but Spotify is kind of the exception in that it likes to keep things streamlined and simple and only uses the general audio codec for everything which I thought was quite interesting because clearly audio is their whole business um, and then on to the next one um, MPEG-H this is kind of for the fancier audio tools that you may want to add to your service so they've got uh, surround sound which is best known under the Dolby Atmos brand uh, that's kind of 3D so it adds you know you've got kind of left right horizontal access and then ha height as well but for that to work you need a room filled with loads of speakers kind of barely anyone is going to have that in their house um, or you know at their fingertips but then the next best thing they have is this kind of immersive sound which essentially aims to replicate surround sound but can be done on any kind of stereo speaker or even in headphones um, with kind of this binaural setup is how he described it um, and the cool thing about that is that artists uh, or music he's a mu music artist are now starting to go back or at least tech savvy ones are starting to go back and remix their old tracks in this kind of immersive audio setup to really make use of the new listening technology but I guess that's kind of a somewhat of a bottleneck really because you can't really roll it out as this new exciting you know an, a platform can't just be like we've now got all our songs in this because it actually requires a lot of creative time on the artist side um so it's kind of still really unknown whether it's really going to take off as a, as a way that people listen to music and again spotify just haven't bothered doing it at all even though all their competitors prime title everyone has um, so it's kind of a case of whether do Spotify need to pick it up and start promoting it to really make artists go and remix their remix their old songs in this new way, or is it just really just going to be a cool thing that no one ever bothers to do? Um, it's had a bit more success on the TV side, um, and for huge events around the world, people have started broadcasting in this like immersive audio. Um, it generally seems that the content service providers only really think it's a worthwhile investment for your flagship events. You know, the Olympics, Rock and Rio. Eurovision, those were those are the ones that Jan said it's definitely been broadcast for on a mass scale. Um, but the final cool feature of MPEG-H is the interactivity thing, um, which essentially allows you to kind of mix the audio at home, uh, even though you're only actually receiving one audio stream, uh, which really doesn't make any sense to me. But essentially it means that if you're watching like a sports match, you can just turn up the commentary without turning up anything else. Um, without them sending you 20 different stems, which I still have absolutely no idea how that works, but apparently that's on offer. But yeah, I'm looking forward to trying out all these various different um, kind of technologies and tools at Mobile World Congress and report back on how they are in real life. Good stuff. Tommy? No? no. <laughs> you probably... <laughs> I thought about it. Fair enough. <laughs> all right, sweet. Good stuff. Yeah, thanks, Rafi. Um, no, I, I know on the um, surround sound for sports, uh, a popular one is if you disable the center channel, you'll get rid of the commentators. Um, so, yeah, weird channels, multi-codecs, yeah. And Apple Spatial Audio, which was their big shiny iTunes feature, that is very unpopular um, among users. Um, so, yeah, if you <laughs> maybe get stir the pot on that. Um, Sweet, but yeah, thank you very much, Rafi. We'll, we'll dive into a uh, final long-form bit, and this one's looking at video codecs. And the, uh, the headline, Qualcomm preps AV1 Snapdragon, probably patent pool uproar. And the sort of the spark of the news here was a sort of rumored confirmation that AV1 is finally being added in silicon to the next flagship Snapdragon. Uh, about two, well, December 2020 was when we first sort of wrote a big old article about Qualcomm's lack of AV1 
in its sort of flagship silicon and the gist there was that it had been beaten to the punch by MediaTek and Rockchip and surely Qualcomm's engineers uh, are up to the challenge so you know this smacks of politics there must be something going on behind the scenes and then of course we do the Rethink TV transcoding uh, forecast and a big part of that was just working out timelines on when we sort of expected to see things and part of that um, it's quite nice to see that things are sort of lining up as we were um, predicting but the sort of confirmation here is is that it's part of the the SM8550 uh, which is almost certainly going to be the Snapdragon uh, you know 8 Gen 2 so that will appear in 2023 and that will sort of I think that will be this watershed moment really because that is the time uh, that you would expect the somewhat inevitable AV1 lawsuits to start flying because we know that there's a bunch of people out there who are not part of these patent pools, the Sisfel patent pool, uh, who believe AV1 infringes on their intellectual property. And that means that to settle that issue, there has to be some sort of a showdown. And now that Qualcomm, you know, the provider of all the silicon for flagship smartphones uh, is on the scene and providing this, that will be, I think, when, when things really kick off. And then the interesting part uh, is that Qualcomm was part of the VLOS uh, media patent pool until uh, September 2021, uh, where it pulled out. And, and VLOS media was the third uh, HEVC patent pool. Uh, and the other interesting part is that Qualcomm is not part of uh, the Sysfile patent pool. So it's making AV1, it'll be making VVC, but it's not part of either. So that sort of means that it's this kind of a wild card and and it implies i think that it'll be trying to negotiate direct deals uh, with with vendors and suppliers and and ip holders rather than using the patent pools and that's something that nokia has has done in the past there's quite a few firms really that, that do it but yeah um av1 it's it's you know launched onto the scene the promise was that it was going to be royalty free everyone in the mpeg world laughed at it and said there's no chance it's going to be royalty free and then you know a bit of egg on its face because the sysfel um uh, patent pool emerges but then since sysfel has arrived um we've not seen the the sort of big yeah lawsuit and if anyone's going to trigger it i think it would be qualcomm providing flagships so yeah um it's fairly short really the, there's some more technical detail uh in the piece um but that's the gist of it really 2023 av1 uh, big showdown hopefully and we'll clear the air see how the dust settles and <laughs> if we're lucky we'll only have um yeah the one pattern pool um but i mean it seems almost inevitable that we'll, we'll get um, multiple different camps and claims and things and I think yeah, VVC told me we're we're expecting uh, three as per usual. Um, so yeah, it's all a bit of a mess. So hopefully one big one big legal showdown, you know, some juicy headlines, some great stories, and for the good of the video industry, <laughs> hopefully we we get some clarity. Not great for codec update, but great for our stories. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> very very good coverage-wise. Right, sweet. That is the end of our long-form content, of course. So we'll move now, as is tradition, to the worth noting section. So five years ago this week, Rafi, what was going on? Uh, something fishy was going on in Austria, because although it did not consistently offer the cheapest service, um, the country's largest and incumbent market leader... Um, telecoms company a1 uh, had won 80 percent of the contracts from past government projects um, and so feeling cheated the austrian association of alternative telecommunications networks 
what a long name, was pushing for a review of the management of government tenders as well as an increase in regional tenders because they noted that A1 was always getting points for having a regional presence even though it was in every single region. Nice, yeah. Who, who'd have thought that the old incumbent uh, would have cushy government mates? <laughs> something that the open region BT have, have learned to their peril. Uh, yeah, sweet. Right, uh, Tommy, yeah. highlights. Well, uh, um, yeah, just quickly, I found the, uh, the, the press release and it was Beethoven that um, Deutsche Telekom plans to turn Robbie Williams' Angels into a new song arrangement supported by Telekom Beethoven AI. That's happening on the 28th. That's um, what day is that? That's Monday at 1:30 p.m. Oh. If uh, you guys want to put that in the diary, um, just, I'm sure he would approve. Cancel anything you've got on at 1:30 p.m. on Monday and uh, make sure you're there. Thanks. Um, that yeah could be our lead story next week. <laughs> I mean, that, in fact, I'm pretty sure it will be. Um, in the meantime, and worth noting, we have discovery results just came in uh, before we went to press. Um, the you know aside all the usual stuff added two million quarters in quarters in, in subscriber four I nearly said two million subscribers in the fourth quarter. Um, but the most interesting part of the press release um, that I scanned was not the mergers or the joint ventures or the content um, any of that. It was that um, it has just transitioned the entirety of its European Discovery Plus subscriber base to the same technology. As the, as the US US version of the, the the platform, so Discovery says this delivers a more personalised content viewing experience and dr- will drive better engagement and churn and and all that kind of stuff. And it's going to use it to add, offer ad light offerings in the UK from next month. So I might explore that in a bit more detail uh, next week, looking at the uh, the technology backend. Great, uh, yeah the. <laughs> That's the most sarcastic. No, I was scrolling. Uh, I was trying to find. I was trying to find two buttons at once. I'm a little brain. It's too tired. I've been staring at spreadsheets too long. Sick. Go right. I, I can pronounce words, but I can't do emotion <laughs> under pressure. <laughs> yeah. What isn't great though, really? I, I, I don't know how this valuation happened, but you know, how much do you think all the infrastructure of US broadcast TV is worth, and and why are 64 local TV stations 8.6 billion dollars? Yeah. Don't don't get that. I'm sure that valuation is more than like mobile ran infrastructure for like entire countries. So that's really weird. But that was Tegna being bought by Standard General. Um, so I might pitch that after Mobile Congress when things have calmed down. I might go dig in there, Tommy. Um, yeah, like a good explore. Yeah, sweet. Right. Oh, thank you for uh, bearing with me, uh, dear dear listener. But that was Faultline 127. 928 is going to be at Mobile Congress. Um, so yeah, we know exactly what to expect next week. Yeah, BA Eithoven. Um, yeah. So, all right. Um, yeah, we'll 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 sort of hopefully bring you some juicy goss out of uh, Barcelona. Um, hopefully, all goes nice and smooth. Um, so we will, yeah, try and do a podcast. Maybe we'll we'll see how that goes. Um, we'll see how our schedules line up. Um, but if not, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. If, if you're available to record a podcast, then you're not doing your job. Um, That's true. Of being at a trade show properly. Yeah. So. That's true. <laughs> and it'll be the last day, so that'll be party day, won't it? Oh no, that's that's bully people who have to stay on the on the stands. Oh well, yeah, and, <laughs> and and time to let your hair down and enjoy it. And um, yeah, I might do a solo pod next week, depending on how much um, trash you send me, how much material. 
<laughs> Fingers crossed. Sweet. All right, everybody. Uh, head to the website, of course, rethinkresearch.biz. That's where you'll find Fault Lines uh, free four-week trials. You'll find Rethink TV there as well. Uh, send us some uh, tips if you got them. Uh, leave us some nice reviews. And we'll see you uh, when we see you, I guess. So, uh, yeah, bye-bye from me. Cheers, all. See ya.